Welcome to the Mass Fans for Life podcast. I am your host, Landon Thomas. We are joined by Ian Kayanja and the returning Kendra Dunson. Sean Nabaz cannot make this episode, so we are thinking about you sometimes. But we are, yes, we have a good episode. We are going to talk about Jaden Hardy being assigned to the Texas Legends for at least a couple games. And we're going to talk about the lost leads. So many lost leads, even the games that they won, except the blowout. It's it's been close. And then Luca's hot start since Michael Jordan 1986. Damn. All right, so let's start with Jaden Hardy going to the Legends. It was announced by the Mavericks. Two games on the road against the Austin Spurs. So, Ian, I'll start with you. What's your thoughts on Jaden Hardy being assigned to the Texas Legends and just how long do you think he should be there? I'm I'm on the record on this very podcast and saying that I didn't expect Hardy to be playing many NBA minutes um, with the big club. Uh, we I think when we did our post-draft podcast, that's what we talked about a lot, was what did we expect from Hardy? Um, and, and Hardy's clearly a very talented player, um, but he's very clearly still a developmental project. Um, he has experience in the G League from the Ignite team, and uh, I, I think that more than anything else, this stint in the G League will be a time where the ball gets put back in his hands. It's kind of hard to develop a guy when, especially a guy that's a guard, when you have Luca, because <laughs> Luca has a ball in his hands all the time. And so this will give Hardy a chance to be the man again and, and bring whatever comes with that. It's In short, it's nothing that I didn't expect. Um, Hardy's a guy that needs the ball in his hands to develop. And him getting sent down to the G League gives him that opportunity to have the ball back in his hands and and be able to create his own offense again. So uh, it, it's to be expected for me. Kendra, what's your thoughts on Jaden Hardy uh, being assigned to the Texas Legends? I like the move. I think it's better than just sitting on the bench, getting the minutes. I think being a rookie and, you know, but the depth of this team, I, I think it was – going to be hard to try to find some rotation minutes in there for him. So going to the G League and just continuing to develop his skill, uh, it, it never hurts. So. Really wanted to see him play on the big team, you know, the varsity team. And I'm not talking big minutes. I just I'm talking like eight minutes a game, similar to how we saw Compazzo play, not – you know, when he did play on, on the road, but just see him play eight to 10 minutes and just slowly, gradually get him implemented into the league. I mean, he, he played G League last year. You can look at it as seeing him playing, getting some game, you know, getting some game action and a lot of minutes. So he, he you know, refines his, his, his bag and make sure that he's learning some of the stuff that he's learned in training camp and practice and implement that against um, these G League teams. 
we'll see how long he's there because right now it looks like he's only there for two games. But I think, Ian, we talked about this last season. Um, if you're going to bring him down to the G League, l- let him stay for a while. You can't just keep the back and forth and then he doesn't play. Like, if he's going down to the G League, when he comes back, I want to see at least a five-minute stretch of him going and not a blowout. Um, I mean, he did it last game, but you want to see that not because you need a spark, emergency spark sub coming. You want to see regular minutes with him if he's going down to the G League and coming right back. If not, leave him down there for a month. I mean, just let him play for a month at the G League level and see him develop and see what he does there. Kendra, I'll start with you. What do you think? How long do you think he should be there? It was the second question because... I was thinking about a month. Um, but it shouldn't... I guess I guess this comes down to, like, Jason Kidd and the, and the coaching staff and, and the vision that they have for this team. And I feel like everything that they're doing is geared towards... Um, the postseason. And if Hardy is a part of that, then, you know, get give him the time that he needs, consistent minutes in, in the G League instead of the, the the random spurts that he's getting now in the NBA because that's not that's not enough. But if he can get that cohesion in the G League, come back to the team and kid creates puts him in rotation. And then we can see exactly where he fits. Second round talent down to the G League and bringing them back up. Because right now it's just two games or through two games at least. Versus just being down there for a few weeks. And, and we'll see how you develop over time. To me, this speaks more to how broken the NBA's development pipeline is. Um, when you look at how baseball has figured it out or like even the NFL to some respect with practice squad guys um, that there's never any rush with guys that um, need time to develop in sports like baseball. Like you, you say in this example, the Rangers that Jake Leiter kid, they, they drafted him. Right. And then he played, he played the, the entire year in the minor leagues and no one's pressuring him to be, great right away versus like the NBA and that the kid has talent and on top of that, you know? And so like, but the NBA with the limited roster spots, it's so front facing. It's like someone's drafted. And especially because the NBA, they, they, there's only two rounds to the draft. So you're drafted and you're expected to contribute right away. And so to answer your question, I honestly say that I would like to see, Hardy stay in the G League until January. Like, what's the rush? What's the rush? Especially if, you know, the vibe that I've gotten um, in post-game press conferences is that the Mavs are figuring things out right now anyway. Why would you want to try to develop a rookie with the big club when you don't even know who your top eight guys are going to be in the rotation yet? Because then you don't know how many minutes to give the young guys. And then um, the Mavs essentially gave away uh, Hardy's development minutes with the big club when they brought in Capazzo. And, and so to me, why not just leave him down there till January? Let, let Hardy cook. 
um, build some of that confidence um, and then revisit it in January, February, similar to how in baseball, like you'll have your, you know, late July, August call-ups where the, the young guys that have been balling fought, will, will get that chance, but it's not a rush chance. They're not telling them be great in April. They're telling them, Hey, you play in the minor leagues, maybe you play a season or two and, then in late July, we'll reassess where you're at. And I think the Mavs should adopt that strategy with Hardy because there is a clear slant towards veteran players, and it's hard for a young guy to break through that. I mean, we've seen the struggles that Josh Green has had and how it's been hard for him to develop when he's somewhat not allowed to make mistakes, right? And the playoffs were a prime example of that. Um in the playoffs, Green made made some mistakes, and then his minutes diminished because it's the playoffs, and this is a team that's trying to compete. Versus, if this was a team that was happy to be there, they would have kept playing Green, right? If say it's a I don't know Charlotte that finally wins a playing game, and if Green was on Charlotte and they're playing the number one seed in Milwaukee Bucks. If Green has a bad game, they're not necessarily pulling him because they didn't expect to be there in the first place. Um, and so I think it's hard to develop talent with the, the veteran-laden culture that Dallas currently has. Um, and they show no signs of switching that. So just let Hardy cook in the G League until January and figure out where he's at then when we're kind of reaching the dog days of the NBA schedule. We're leading the all-star break, trade deadline, and then that dead period until really we're just waiting for the playoffs to start. And then you bring him up and allow him to play in some of those games. As you were talking, you made some good points. And I see where you're going with that because this is a veteran-laden team and it would be hard to develop unless you have consistent minutes or you know your role or the coach knows the roles of the team, because like you pointed out, it seems like that's still a fluid situation there. Um, it's obvious um, with the eye test, and it's obvious with the post-game press comments after every game. But I gotta ask, I gotta ask y'all, and this is for either of y'all. What do y'all think about the G League as a whole? Like holistically, what do y'all think about developing? as a player on a two-way or a late first round, early second round, can you really develop in the G League as it stands right now as you have guys who are, it's like a puzzle. There are pieces coming in, trying to make a roster instead of like overseas where you have guys um, multiple years on their contract. Wouldn't it be nice to have, the G league where they sign guys to like two year deals or three year deals and just up the money a little bit where you can actually get comfortable in a system and implement guys in there to develop. It seems like you're just throwing them and not just Hardy specifically, but you're just throwing players go in your bag and just get some buckets and then come right back. But are you actually like sitting down, getting comfortable with the offense that you're, implementing from your big league team and trying to develop your game over time without guys trying to make a roster. I think the 
the most recent example of like a successful G League story is Jordan Poole. You know, Ooh, yeah. um, you know, he was, they sent him to the G League because he just, you know, it wasn't there. It wasn't clicking um, in the system, whatever. He spent time there. And when he came back, you know, it's just, it, it looked a lot better. He looked, um, looked better within the system. It's like he knew his spots and he felt comfortable attacking the basket, dishing it out, playing alongside Curry coming off the bench, all those kind of things. And so that time in the G League, and I think also because I I, I think, you know, it's also the franchise, you know, the, the team that you're a part of. And if the expectation is set by the franchise, you know, I think that would help um, players um who go into it and knowing what to expect and, and things like that. If it's a situation with Hardy, you know, if, if, if it's saying like, Hey, we're going to send you here. We're going to, you know, we, we want you to continue to develop. We believe in you. You, you have the talent and all these other things. And, you know, there are certain benchmarks that we want you to meet. And um, we, we want you to meet them here in the G league. Ian, what's your thoughts? Is, is, is it just like Kendra stated how, you know, teams like the Raptors and um, the Pelicans and the Warriors um, have the expectations and, and it's a seamless transition between the NBA team and their G League team. Um, then you have Mavericks and Legends. It's like two separate franchises. And then you have guys trying to just make a roster where it's hard to develop. Yeah. Um, and this, this is where I think European sports just – have a lot of American sports beat. Um, The American system makes no sense uh, because what happens in Europe is um, the teams go out and find young, talented players. Like Messi was with Barcelona since he was an early teenager and he was in their youth academy and then he was on their different varying levels until he was finally ready to be part of Barcelona's starting 11 and that came nine years after they had actually discovered him to me that makes more sense than you draft a player and then you use your g league roster to just kind of like go there and, and score a whole bunch of points but it's never within the flow of an offense and it's just everybody's trying to get theirs because they're really just trying to get their nba contract i think if we set up the g league where it functioned as that scouting arm and and the NBA's trying with that ignite team now where why not have it that like something like a team can you know find these 14 13 15 year olds that have potential bring them with into something like a youth academy and then in that youth academy they develop and then when you know they're high school age they play in these these youth leagues that are sponsored by the NBA and then from there, like you make it a complete system, and maybe um, teams have a uh, teams have something where they can they get first they get like first rights to a player that say like he was we discovered him he was in our system for five years so you know we can we get first dibs at them pretty much some some system like that and it's I know it's not all thought out but to me that would make far more sense than a whole bunch of teams using late second round draft picks 
to take guys that they're just going to throw on their G League team that are never, ever going to actually have real opportunities to play. Um, because even in the G League, I, I have a couple of my friends of mine that play in the G League. Everyone's trying to get theirs. Everyone's trying to put up numbers so that they can be called up somewhere. Um, it's never a complete system, and that's part of the problem. The, the NBA has this fragmented minor league system, and it needs to have clear pipelines that you can find talent, develop them in your minor league system, and you get first, first rights to them whenever they are ready to go pro. And maybe it's something like setting up a draft or just a G League only player draft where the G League players have their separate draft date that if you came through that system, teams can select you. Something like that. And like I'm just tossing ideas, but that would create a more holistic perspective on talent development versus just oh, we like this kid, but he's five years away from actually being good. We're going to throw him on our G League team, and then we're never going to see him again. I remember I really liked this guy, Dragon Bender. I forget what year that draft was. And, you know, he went on some G League team, I think, for the Sixers or something. I've never seen that guy ever again in my life. I don't, I, could, I couldn't tell you where he's at now. Um, but he was, he was a first-round pick, if I remember correctly. And so it's like, those types of things happen too much in the NBA where you see the talent. It's just no one, not no one, but the system doesn't help them develop that talent. It's more so you sink or swim here. It's a zero-sum game. Versus like in baseball or in soccer, they'll nurture you so that you can become the best version of yourself. Yeah, good points by both of y'all. Um, I just hope that the Mavericks um... – have this opportunity while they are assigning him as a way to actually develop instead of just get minutes, you know, just get game ready by playing 30 minutes on these few games that you're down there. Like give him three goals, you know, Hey, we want you to get two steals this game, or, you know, just give him some ideas to develop his game. Um, We want you to get six assists, you know, something like that. Um, so he can actually implement some of the stuff he's been learning with the big club. Okay, so let's get to let's get to the lost leads from this team, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, just when you look at their losses, I mean, right now they are three and three. They played the Jazz tonight, um, which if you've been watching the Jazz this season, I mean this this is just as big as any game. Um, when you look at their losses, I mean, they lose to the Thunder by six. They were, they were up 16 points with four minutes to go. Um, and then they lose to the Pelicans by two and they lose to the Suns by two. Obviously, um, there's many, (laughs) it seems like there's many factors that go into the loss leads, but, um, Ian, I'll start with you. What's your, what's your thoughts overall on the lost leads by this team? It's something that um, I've written about in my last two columns. Uh, just the late game rotations feel so clunky. In it's hard to win when you're not really sure who's playing when the game counts the most. I mean, one night it's Christian Wood playing 18 straight minutes and not playing overtime. 
Another night, it's yeah. Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith closing the game. Another night, kids going back to that lineup that had success in the playoffs, Sands Brunson, right? Um, it, it's There's too many moving pieces. And in my mind, basketball is a very simple game where you – Put your best five out there in the game's waning moments. And oftentimes your best five is your best player alongside three other shooters and a rim protector. And that is how you'll find results. And that's kind of been the the recipe for success throughout basketball history. Your best player, three people that can space the floor and a a ginormous human being in the middle. Um, And I, I what's curious to me is is why it's been so hard for this Mavericks team to figure that out, um, and I want to know really get to the bottom what separates this year from figuring that out. Like why this year? Because I feel like last year we always talk about like oh they they had Brunson they had Brunson, but Kid also knew that Jalen Brunson should be closing games by November. You know mm. like that wasn't. Even though Brunson wasn't starting, Brunson was closing, and that isn't no. the case right now. And and with Christian Wood or with really kid knowing much of anyone who should close outside of Luca, um, and so I've just been very enamored by that and how the rotations are directly playing into missteps in terms of late game execution. Because kid will talk about the defense but it's hard to build trust on the defensive side of the ball with a specific unit if you don't know who you're playing with in those minutes every single night. How can you expect them to communicate well on defense if you know we practice closing games or situational basketball with Maxi, and then tonight you just feel like playing Christian Wood 18 straight minutes? It's setting your team up to fail when you don't have delineated situational roles because that's those those moments are where trust is built. You can't build trust on a certain end of the floor if you're constantly changing things there. Kendra, what's your thoughts on the lost leads um, from the Mavericks um, early this season? I, I want to say, you know, everything that, that Ian is saying is, is completely valid. But I also want to say that it's, you know, six games, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's oh, just, the breaks. I am channeling the breaks. my Shana Voss, um, spared right now. Oh. And I say this, you know, like, I, I feel like a lot of teams are figuring it out right now, you know, even though they have the same players, you you know what I'm saying? You're still figuring it out because, because each season is different. You know, there's just a revolving door right now and nothing is concrete other than Luca would be on the floor in the closing minutes, right? I can't blame Kid too much for him choosing to go with Kleber over Wood, you know, um, against, uh, what was it, the, the Suns? those first couple of games in the closing lineup or whatever. And I know that people were upset because obviously Wood had the hot hand and he was like the second best player on the Mavs team. But right now, all I'm, all I'm saying is nothing is concrete. Maybe it should look a little messy. Nothing should look as perfect 
right now out the gate, but it is concerning in the sense of outside of Luca, where are the points going to come from? You know, obviously it's going to be points by committee system. We have wood, but I'm going to read these numbers off to you guys. Um, the first three games is 25 points, 25 and 23 points. That's the first three games that he had. The, the last three games, it was 11 points, 11 points and five points. Um, you know, the consistency matters. You know, um, obviously, I know kid, he's going to hang his hat on defense, but it's also the offense. Like, where is the offense going to come from? Where are we going to get those points? Because to me, the Mavericks look a little lost outside of Luka. Um, and that and that, that worries me. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why they have lost some of those leads is because when Luka is on the bench, um, it's, 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 it's really hard to find uh, – the, the points um, when your second best player isn't being as aggressive um, as he uh, as you want him to be. And so, again, it's just six games. We're still figuring it out. It's a melting pot right now. It's a revolving door. I'm taking the lax rep- uh, approach on this. And I'm going to let I'm going to let Ian uh, be the one who who gets all riled up. I'll slam my doomsday button because this is the thing. Already? I'd be, I, not already, but I'm, I'm always of the volition. I'd rather be too early on something than too late. I mean, I see it. You know, I see the things that can definitely like, okay, this is this will not play well in the playoffs. You know, this, was, this is not going to suit them well come January, come February. But I just, again, it's – Gosh, I sound like Shauna Buzz, but it's it's really only six games. She said, gosh. Like, she said, gosh. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it's, it's still. Mr. Po- it's not the wrong being Mr. Uh, Mr. Positive, Shauna It's Buzz. just trying to balance it out, you know, because it's like, okay, let's, let's jump ship. Let's, oh, my gosh, let's blow everything up. And it's like, well, should we? Do we need to? You know? I think um, I, I I wouldn't say you need to. I I'm just putting a pin in it. it. A very big one. Something feels awry. Something feels awry. Um, and I like that you brought up um Woods' diminished scoring value. Um, because if you look at those first three games where he looked like he was on a tear, and then you look at the latter three games, the latter three games, to me, looked like someone that was struggling with. The, their confidence offensively and understanding where they can be assertive. And that, again, falls on the coach to tell him, like, these are your spots. These are where I want you to get your shots. And I and, and it's on the coach to empower him to make certain plays. Um, and it seems like the last three games he's been in his head because the minutes have been so inconsistent. And obviously, like, I'm just – you know, pointing out what things look like from my vantage point. But there were times um, in that Magic game that he could have got a shot. He could have taken the shot. But but 
he just didn't. And they were shots that he was taking, you know, in game two of the season. And maybe that comes down to, and again, this is just speculation. He was really bought in to, he was saying all the right things, at least, to being the sixth man. Um, and then I think of the last presser that he was involved in, where he basically said, when asked about his minutes, he was just like, I don't, I don't get into all of that. I just want to help the team win as best as I can, which is an answer in a non-answer, right? It's that these things keep changing, so all I can do is control what I can control. And, but the only problem is sports are a ritualistic thing. A, a lot of athletes have a certain way of doing certain things because that's how they've always played the game. And it's kind of hard to find your groove when you don't know if you're playing 20 minutes tonight. You don't know if you're playing 30 minutes tonight. And, and maybe it's a bit of that when you – that's what you bringing up his scoring numbers made me think of. That you lose confidence when you're not really sure what your position or role is within within a, a system. Yeah, some of the – that in the Magic, against the Magic um, – he didn't look as aggressive. I saw that he was, he looked comfortable staying behind the three point line. I feel like, you know, the elbow and, you know, uh, dunker spot is kind of where he, his jam is. And I don't know, like, I thought about Porzingis. <laughs> you know, I don't want him to get super comfortable. Standing behind a three, you know, I think Wood and in his offensive skill, like it just gives the Mavs another dimension that they desperately need outside of Luca. And so, um, yeah, it, maybe it's just a mental thing. And you know, against the Jazz, and he'll be more aggressive and he'll just play. Yeah, I just want to highlight Chop Shop Victory Park, right outside the AAC. They have drink specials during Mavs games, home and road, not just home. The drink specials are $5 for Mavs shots and then also $5 for the Rollertown Big Chairman. They're usually nine plus each, so you're basically getting them half off. And I recommend the pastrami melt. I get that every time I go there. Or the trash can nachos, which I never finish. Chop Shop Victory Park, check them out. But I, I think it's definitely a mental thing. Um, it, it's tough. Like, when you watch the first three games, they were force, forcing the ball to him. And they were, like, giving him plenty of opportunities to go get buckets. They were, they were like, forced. They were making it a priority to give him the ball and say, hey, it's go time. And and you could see it on his face, like he was getting hyped up. Remember the Memphis game? He 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 screamed like six times in that game. Like he he was he was feeling like he was unstoppable. And you just look at the the comp- the comparison between those games um, in the last three games. I mean, field goal attempts. He shot thirty seven times in the first three games. He shot twenty one times in the last three games. Free throws. Kendra, you said aggressive. He shot uh, 30 free throws in the first three games. 
and he shot only seven in the last three games. And then three pointers, even three pointers, even though he's been um he's been more on the three pointers the last three games. The first three games he shot 13 threes. And then the last three games he only shot five. So they're not even making him a priority in the offense. Obviously, um those last three games, Luca was un I mean unimaginable great on the court, but he was great in the first three games. And they were still forcing the ball to Wood to go get his. And it, there's like Ian said, there's some there's something in the air. I don't know what it is. It might be a, a skunk behind the fence, but there's there's something in the air when you think about this team and being in the press conferences, even the other day, I mean, kid was hinting at it. Oh, where's the question that I thought y'all were going to ask? Or he said something to the likes of that because Wood didn't play in the overtime game. I mean, I mean, there's different things that you can do to make sure that your second best player is happy and implemented in this team that, because not only, do you want him to be happy in Dallas when you just lost your second best player last season? You want to win games. And that's putting your team in the best position to succeed is winning games. So I'm kind of in the middle. Um, it's only been six games, but it's also worrisome. Like, not only because you're we're watching these games, but Spencer said it. Like Spencer said, he said, obviously it's concerning that they're losing leads. So obviously the team is thinking that if, if, you know, one of your leaders on the team is coming out and saying it. So that, that's worrisome for me, just watching this team lose leads. And then it goes back to coaching. You got to have consistent lineup, close the game. I mean, it's, we're seeing, we're seeing a chess match with these, with these, rotations and and trying to combat the other team try something different this time thj replaced spencer dinwiddie in the closing lineup the other day so he's just constantly trying different things to close out and i i think you have to have a line even if it's not wood just have a closing lineup so you have consistency and everyone knows the role and then you can start to become better once they are in their roles Should we be concerned about Wood in the next coming games and just how, like, the drastic performances has looked? I don't think any concern. I I don't think any concern um, because things are – something's in the air. I wouldn't say I smell smoke, but it's just, like, it's something Landon and I have talked about. It's like you're just monitoring it. Um, because again, I've listened to countless post-game press conferences. I've never seen a coach go out of their way to throw certain guys under the bus. And the fact that us media members weren't going to ask that question that was the elephant in the room and that kid almost did a complete 90 degree turn into a stretch to state what he wanted to say 
that's what made me think, is there something in the air? Because after saying that, oh, you guys didn't ask the question I expected, he then gives this contradictory statement of, you know, Wood wasn't great on offense and defense, but, you know, we also liked what we saw. It, it was this hodgepodge of meanings and messages. And to me, it just signifies that, yes, Jason Kidd always preaches patience in discovering his lineups, but what is the criteria for that? And and that was something else that I, I've written about. It's that you can't base lineup solely on preseason promises. If something isn't working, you have to make a change. Uh, you can, if you get if you marry yourself to an idea based on the principle versus its results, what will end up happening is you start getting in this rat race of, oh, but the principle makes so much sense, but but the result isn't working. The, the result isn't the one that you want. And that comes down to looking in the mirror and, and having those tough conversations with your team and saying like, hey, in these areas, I have to be better. Um, and one thing that just always sticks out to me is like, you don't, I've never seen a coach divert that hard to call out somebody. That to me was unprecedented. And and it, it was something where I don't smell smoke, but something's yeah. in the air. And he Not even sure said it. it is he, he even said, um, like JaVel McGee is going to start. He, he, he constantly says, JaVel McGee, he said it last game, JaVel McGee is is going to start, and that's not changing. But you saw that we could play Dwight, Ma- uh, Maxi, and Christian Wood. I mean, you got to change at some point when you're not producing. He did it last year with Dwight Powell when Maxi was out playing him every single game. And you just have to make a change when it's that obvious and when you're losing. Okay, so last year they found the stretch – in the second half of the season where you, you can't change that. I mean, even if Dwight played 12 minutes in the playoffs, you you can't change that because they were winning. But you're three and three. If you start to see a trend that's, you know, just floating that 500 line, you have to make some adjustments to where it helps you win games. Exactly. And that's the part that I that, that I haven't figured out about Kid. And, and I don't want to make this like, oh, I think Kid's a bad coach. I think he's a great players coach. He knows how to connect yeah, for sure. with certain guys. But he also preaches he also preaches that it's early in the season and they're still figuring things out. So why double down that McGee is your starter now if you're still figuring things out? Why double and triple down and when asked, he was like, I firmly still believe he's our guy. If you're still trying things out, why not leave that open and say, look, we're gonna we're trying things out. It's always trying things out when it comes to playing Maxi or Wood more minutes in certain situations. But then with kids, guys, it's always this is how it is. And you can't have it both ways. You're either tinkering with the lineups or you're just doing what you want to do. And if you're if it's the latter, just admit that versus selling selling it that oh these guys can win minutes because i don't understand how 
Wood didn't win more minutes in those first three games. And in fact, his minutes got more inconsistent after balling out those first three games. So if we're trying things, let's actually try things is my thing. If kid wants to try them, then be serious about trying them. You see the box score. McGee, nine minutes last night, minus 12. And so if you're going to try something, then actually try it. That And to, that that's that's... My, my final point on that, because I don't want to make it a Jason Kidd should, shouldn't be the coach of the Mavs, because I very much believe that he should. I just think that, um, a lot, like most coaches, they get stubborn and want to win their way. Yeah, and I agree. I, I've said it many times. Jason Kidd is, is and should be the coach of the Mavericks. But you have to make adjustments. That's that's all I want to see as a spectator, someone covering the team. Just make adjustments when it's obvious. You can't, like Ian said, you can't float the line. Hey, we're still figuring things out. But then you, you say, but this is the starter no matter what. Then you're not really figuring things out. Um, you said the same thing with Powell last year. Um, but then he... He did the same thing with Brunson and because Brunson was off the bench and then he finally started and that's how the team grew. And I think that's how the team will grow if they did the same thing with Christian Wood. I mean, not to be a, beat a dead horse, but even if you put him in the five spot, I mean, you make your team so much, um, so much more unpredictable. And it, it's, it's, it's just clear that the rotate, they have the players to be a good team um, um, and maybe even float around that, that border of being a contender. If you put the guys in position to succeed. Um, and I don't think they're doing that with Christian Wood. And I, I think there would be a, so I think there would be a much better team if they used the two man game with, um, Luka Doncic and Christian Wood. It, it just it's obvious when you're looking at these games and how they play together. And Luka makes it so much easier for him. And also just play through them. Even if you're not going to play them together, play through them like you did the first three games. Because Wood was playing out out of his mind, and it was something something great to see. Okay. Oh, and then also free throws. Are we not going to are we not going to talk about those free throws with the points they're losing by like two? I mean, they're twentieth right now in the league in free throws. That's concerning as well. I think that's just as concerning as the rotations. You got to make free throws to win games. Yeah, they could have won uh, their first game if they knocked down some free throws. You know, um, would in that first game, as great as he was, he left about seven, eight points at the stripe. Um, and so they definitely have to um, win at the free throw line, you know, because that, that seriously, that is the small difference between a win and a loss. Or, you know, sometimes the difference in uh, going into overtime, you know, so you just want to knock those down as much as you can. Yeah, even Luca. I mean, the first three games, he was, he was so clutch with the free throws, 
um, in the last three games, I think it's like a 10, 10% drop um, um, from the first three games in comparison. Okay, so sp- <laughs> speaking of Luca, let's talk about his hot start. Let's talk about the hottest start since MJ. Um, since 1986 MJ, and that's that's hard to top. The first six games of 30-plus points, um, I, th- it's, I think this is like a twofold, right? And I'll start with Kendra, but um, the way Luka is playing, it, it's, it's obviously he's the best player in the league right now. If you just look at how he's playing – I test and the stats. But then you look at the team. Is that really how you want him to play? Because it's not converting to wins. And like, look at his stats and look and watch how he plays. He wasn't voted player of the week either week, the first two weeks. And he's having the best start since MJ. It's because they're three and three. So Kendra, What's your take on Luca's hot start, and is this a formula for long-term success? Well, you know, his hot start, I mean, in contrast to last season, Ooh, right? Yeah. The, the biggest knock on him was coming into the season out of shape and him getting off to a slow start and, Consequently, the Mavs getting off to a slow start and they picked it up when he picked it up. And so now, you know, okay, he's in shape. Um, you know, the Mavs are three and three. They could easily be six and oh. Um, let me raise off some of these numbers because I was like, well, yeah. this is crazy. He's, he's playing 36 minutes and he's averaging 36 points. <laughs> wow. Um, eight eight assists and nine rebounds as a point guard. The, um, the other um, players before him in that category are centers and power forwards. So, you know, him as a point guard, I think that's, you know, considerable and it should be um, noted. Um, he's shooting 50% from the field Um but the concerning thing is that he's shooting like 20% from three. Um, that's not going to stop him from taking those step back 25 <laughs> uh, feet, you know, three pointers, but it is what it is. Um, but to answer your question, is it sustainable? Absolutely not. Sh- I'm, well, let me say this. I think he can do it for 82 games and I think he can even do it in the playoffs but he would be running on fumes and they would probably be eliminated in five games. So it's not, it's, it's concerning as far as, as a team, because outside of Luca, again, where are you going to find those consistent points? Where are you going to find that offensive punch when Luca? you know, doesn't score 30, isn't scoring 40, you know, um, teams are playing him a little bit more aggressive and um, you have to find a way to get the ball in the bucket without him creating an offense for you. So um, it is concerning to a degree of like, 
again, the offensive scheme, but because it's also a scheme that is centered around him, they will have some, you know, marginal success. And I think from an individual standpoint, we are seeing that. But um, team-wise, it's, 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 it's going to go up and down. Now, you know, as a fan, I'm not, you know, aesthetically, their offense is not pleasing um, because it is Luka, you know. Even as a top two um, offense or top two, three? Yeah. 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 To me, it's not, it's not aesthetically pleasing in the sense of I just prefer more ball movement, more player movement. You know, um, I, I, I don't. I, I would like for the ball to to hit two or three players, that that kind of thing, you know. So, um, but most of the time, what you're gonna see when Luca is on the floor, um, you're gonna see him get that high screen. You know, um, he's gonna get that switch, um, and he's gonna take the ball down right there, you know, five feet, seven feet, eight feet, and he's going to do a fadeaway. You know, is he's gonna pivot? Um, and you know, spin and fade away and, and hit his little uh, jump shot. So that's what you're gonna see. Um, so aesthetically, it's not my f- type of offense, but it's it's working now. But is it sustainable as far as in the postseason? No, and it shouldn't be because that's when defenses clamor down, and um, you have to rely on other on your teammates to step up and make those big shots and be able to move the ball and create offense when Luca is not on the floor or he doesn't um, have the hot hand. But kudos to him for having a hot, hot start. Yeah, so. definitely. Ian, what's your, what's your thoughts on Luca's hot start? Um, is, it, is it that he's just that damn good? Or is it he has to be that damn good to get some wins? Can it be both? Um, <laughs> I I made this point right? in our little podcast group chat. Just these games that are decided on the margins are decided in the non-Luka minutes. And it's shocking how bad the Mavs are in the non-Luka minutes. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've watched the NBA for as long as I can remember. And this season... Luka Doncic reminds me a lot of, um, and not in terms of play style. So before we all get up on my case, not in terms of play style, but what he's asked to do, it reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook's MVP season, where when Russell was in the game, the Thunder would have 12, 15-point leads. As soon as he got went to the bench, those leads would evaporate. And it was like, the Thunder were a top five offense with Russ in and were a bottom five offense with him out. Um, and I see a lot of similarities with the Mavs in that, like, the non Luka minutes are so bad because Luka has to do so much. It's almost like putting a paint job on a 1998 Honda and then sticking a plastic uh, Bentley sticker at the front and saying that you're driving a Bentley. And, you know, that paint is doing all it can. That sticker may say Bentley, but the, the engine says Honda. <laughs> and and that, that's what I feel like. 
Are you saying the Mavs bench is 98 <laughs> Honda? Yeah, you're going wow. a little too far with that one. Look, uh, wow. Luca in this offense, it's like having a Bugatti in a garage next to a dilapidated house. That's what it feels like what I'm watching. And the Mavs will be a better basketball team. They'll be a better basketball club when they figure out how to win the non-Luca minutes. Um, but I have a fear that they won't figure that out. And that's why, you know, losing a guy like Brunson was huge for me. And we've debated about this oftentimes in our text threads that he was he was Robin. And you see what he's doing in New York. He has the ball in his hands more, and he's still crazy efficient without having Luka next to him. And I, I, I can't help but think about those things sometimes. Like, Everyone's like, oh, is this sustainable? Is this sustainable? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, it didn't have to be this way. And that Luca had 30 points at halftime against the Orlando Magic, and the game was tied. To me, that's like the brightest of yellow almost turning red lights on this offense. If your best player can score 30 points, 30 of your team's 60 points, and the game is tied because your defense can't stop anybody and 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 no one else can score when he's not on the floor that isn't that isn't viable basketball so the way this will play out though um to to really hone it back to your question Landon is that we all remember Russell Westbrook's season where he carried that decrepit thunder roster to a 6 seed or a it was six or five, I can't remember exactly, but what happened? They lost in five games to the Houston Rockets in the playoffs because by game four of that series, Russ was exhausted. He had already had a 40, 50-point game just to keep the Thunder in the series. And if you look at the track record of history with high-usage guys that are a one-man band, it isn't great in terms of playoff production. When Shaq left LA and it was just Kobe, they were a first round out, second round out team until they got Pau Gasol. And Allen Iverson, he had his run in 2001, but that is very atypical. Russell Westbrook never got out of um, the 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 uh, first round without the with aside the year he teamed up with James Harden in Houston. Um, when you those one man bands, they create exciting regular season basketball because you're like they're a threat to go off for sixty any night. But when it comes to winning time, those guys oftentimes don't have the greatest track record in the playoffs. And as we all know, that's all that matters for Luca is winning a championship. And if there's no viability there, Landon, you tweeted out last season the clock was ticking. Just watching these six games, I'll say it again. Luka's the best player in the NBA right now. And over over Giannis? Right, right now. Like, right today? Mm-hmm. This season? Yes. 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 The stuff he's doing is... Really? Since MJ, 1986. I mean, 
at 50. He's scoring 36 at 50% shooting. And that's with 22% three-pointers. I'm just saying, like, if he just made a couple more threes, the boy would be averaging 40. 40 a game with nine assists and nine rebounds. Or eight assists, whatever it is. I I, I mean, he's, he's scoring 30, 30 points and a half. I mean, earlier, he, then he scored like 20-something in one quarter. I mean... I haven't seen some of the stuff he's doing and it is probably because he has to. Um, that's true. And I think right now he, if he had more wins, he would have two player of the weeks. And if he, if he finishes the month with a few more wins, he could get player of the month without any player of the week selections, which is crazy. Um, they just have to win, and that's that's what it boils down to is winning. Um, I mean, Ian, what what was the question? Uh, the, does he have to score thirty to win? Lucas said no. He has capable scores on the team um, to get that. Well, then I need I need to see that. I I need to see I need to see Christian Wood put in a position to get that. I need to see Spencer. Um, you know, be put in the position and get some more pick and rolls and, and opposed to just shooting threes. I need, um, or, you know, driving to the rim. I need to see that. I need to see Tim Hardaway have two good games in a row, um, you know, instead of the inconsistency, because those guys can get 20 a game, but they're not. So Luca has to put up 36, nine and eight um, just to be in just to be in the game. And Ian just said it, 30 points in one half and you're tied 60-60 to the Magic. Like, no disrespect. Like, the Magic, um, their rookie, Ben um, Ben Chero, he, the boy is a baller. Um, And they got got some pieces, but 60-60 to the Magic and your star player scores 30 points that defense is concerning. The rotations are concerning because you don't have no consistency, so you don't have a for sure number two option. At the beginning of the season, I would say Christian Wood. The latter half, I would say Spencer Dinwiddie. Last game, I would say THJ. I just don't know. I don't know what's consistent with this team and. He could have the best season we've seen in a long time, but not win MVP. That's what's concerning. Like he could he could average 34 points, nine assists, nine rebounds, and not win MVP. Um because the they're losing games. So I don't know. I mean, Ian, what do you think? You, you, you um Kendra said it. I mean, who do you think um Luca is um, behind Giannis right now. I mean, the way with the way he's playing. Yeah, man. To me, what Giannis is doing is is unbelievable. Like, I and I, it more than anything, it speaks to how blessed we are as basketball fans. Like, these two guys play in the same league. Giannis is averaging thirty four and fourteen with six assists. You know, like that's unbelievable. And then 
Like we get Giannis yeah. one night, and then last night we get a forty-four point near triple double from Luca. Like, like we're just blessed as basketball fans. Like these guys, the, the game is as good as it's ever been. And so to me, Giannis is the best player in the league. But it's like a one A, one B, depending on the night. It's just that I know Giannis does it on both ends. Giannis is the Bucks' rim protector at times. Um, and that's why I give him the edge over Luca. That's not to say Luca's a horrible defender. He's just not Giannis level because Giannis has what Luca doesn't. Giannis is six eleven with crazy long arms. And and Luca doesn't have that. That's just that's God given, you know. Well, Kendra, what do you what do you think Luca has to do to win MVP this season? I mean, continue to put up these crazy numbers. Um, look what um, the Joker did last year. You know, he or in the season before. You know, no one expected the Nuggets to do. Um, to do as well as they did last season because of, um, you know, they they had two of their key players out, but he continued to uh, put them in a position to be successful. I think Luca um, understands that more is required of him, um, whether he says it or not. Um, and so, and because of that, I think he, every time he steps on the floor, he knows he has to show up big to give this team a shot to win every night. And so because of that, and because of this um, this bigger narrative, I think in the, in the hype, um, warranted hype uh, behind Luca and, and, you know, this, you know, him being a favorite uh, for MVP, I think all of those things matter. And because of that, we're going to continue to see him put up crazy numbers. Part of it is because, you know, just the way the offense is and, and how he's being used. But and, and, and also, you know, he's doing things that we haven't done. Uh, I'm sorry that. Well, I know I haven't done, but um, also we haven't seen. You know, so Can't you think about back in the day uh, on the playground. I, I had a flashback in. I had a flashback in Oakland. Man. Oh, I had a let me find out. Let the me flashbacks find out. Yeah, let, is, let me see those highlights. Yeah. I got a mixtape. I got yeah, a mixtape. Y'all didn't want to but... see me in middle school. I was a problem. <laughs> Both offensively yeah. and defensively, in the worst way. Problem. I was there on the bench. Tr- Tristan Thompson trajectory there. <laughs> not not, tr- not even and... Tristan Thompson. You mean Smushy Parker? That I could not play, man. My game was horrible. Goodness gracious. Yeah, but no, I I think for Luca, in order for him to win the MVP, it's. He's gonna have to continue on this, on this, uh, this train, you know, this, this, this wave that he's riding, man. And it, the Mavericks will go as far as as far as he can take them. Ian, what does Luca have to do to to win the MVP this season? Um, I think keep playing at the level he's playing at. 30, 40-point games nearly nightly. And then 
make sure the Mavs are good enough for a six and up seed because that that seems to be the anything below a six seed you don't get real consideration despite how good you're playing. So make sure the Mavs are six seed and up, average thirty two, thirty three points per game, um, and I think he'll have a real shot at the award. And and but it, it'd be fun to see, man. We'd get a front row seat to the Magic every night. All right, you heard it, folks. Um, we're, we're already starting the MVP race. Kendra and Ian um, have Giannis one, Luca two. I have Luca one, Giannis two. Um, we 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 know, we know our boy Sean Navaz will, will will back me up on that one. <laughs> Hey, Landon um, needed him today, man. <laughs> oh, man, I can't go against um, both of y'all, man. Where's Shana Vaz? I already know. I always know what Shana Vaz's answer is going to be. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's consistent. consistent. You know? No, he's your, he's your Luca. You know where you're going to get, man. You know he's going to deliver. You know yeah, maybe we need to put him as an assistant coach with the rotations. Man. All I'm saying, Landon, it's, in fact, he'd probably tell you we're only six games in. <laughs> For those that don't know, every single game, Shanavaz just copies and pastes and then puts uh, then changes the number. So he always says we're we're. He even said at the first game, we're one game in. You know, in the last game, we're we're six games in. We'll see what the Mavs do tonight against the Utah Jazz. This is going to be an interesting game. I'm I'm very intrigued. And this is weird because if you if you asked me like 2 weeks ago, I'd probably be making sure I get a lot of concession stand breaks, you know, make sure I get a, a couple a couple good tweets out and you know, just get ready for post game. But this I, we're we're all locked in. We're 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 making sure we watch every bit of the Mavericks Jazz game. So Kendra, what's one thing you're looking forward to um, seeing from the Mavs against the Jazz tonight? Josh Green. Um, oh, I know. Last last episode, you know, we we were all kind of ready to go ahead and kick the can on on the guy, but. He he must have listened to this podcast. Um, shout out to him because he looked like a different player, um, yeah, especially did. in the Nets game, um, the Pelicans game, and the Magic game. Like he just shot with more confidence. I you know his defensive energy, like it was very tangible. You know, fighting for those loose rebounds, loose balls. Um, you know, just um, being disruptive in the passing lane. Um, you know, just making his presence felt um, the full court, you know, so um, and, and also contributing on the offensive end. So I will keep an eye on him and um, and see how he uh, how he plays. Um, again, he's been consistent uh, for the past few games. So I want to see if it continues. And one more thing, um, see how would plays um, when he's on the floor they're gonna intentionally run planes for him when he's on the floor just like we know Luca is gonna get that play 
you know, he's going to get that high screen and, you know, do what he does when Wood is on the floor, you know, um, are the plays going to run through him? So those are the two things that I'm looking for. Yeah, those are good. And shout out to Josh Green. Um, thanks for listening to the pod. Um, it, it, it's shown, um, and that's why I want to see from Josh Green on a nightly basis. I mean, the last three games, he, um, he shot uh, he shot seven, time, um, seven times from the three-point line. The first um, three games, he shot twice. And then the last three games, he shot 11 times. In the last three games, the first three games, he shot three. So it shows, and um, and shout out to Josh Green for how he's playing right um, right now. So Ian, what's one thing that you look forward to seeing from the Mavericks against the Jazz? How they defend Lori Bird? I mean Lori Markinen. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Boy's a baller. Oh, they're they're calling him Lori Bird because of how well he's been playing. But um, no. In all seriousness, I'm I'm just intrigued to see if the Mavs can match Utah's effort. Um, Utah's a joy to watch because they play hard. Um, I can't say the same thing about the Mavs to this point in the season. Um, you know, Luca plays hard, but oftentimes that feels like that's the only guy. So. I want to see if they match Utah's effort. Utah plays every game like it's game seven of the NBA Finals, man. And I respect teams that say they're going to leave it out on the floor and mean it. Because, yeah, the NBA season is long. It's 82 games. It's a marathon. But also, that boils down to you have one game that's in front of you today. So give it your all. You So often now we think about games in five, ten game increments. Well, what really matters, and and all of that will take care of itself if you adopt the philosophy of, did we take care of business today? Did we play as hard as we could play today? Um, And the Mavs haven't embodied that philosophy uh, yet. And so it'll be interesting to see if this team can, can do that, kind of adopt that philosophy of, yeah, it's a long season, um, you're there, and and the Mavs aren't the Golden State Warriors. They made one Western Conference Finals run, and they're acting like they can be on autopilot. So, can they seize the day? Carpe diem. Can they make the most of their moment? There you go. Great words. I mean, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. I just want to see the closing lineup. It's like it's like a thing every game. I just look forward to see what 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 five players are gonna be out on the court. Um, in a close game, that's all. That's all I'm, I'm trying to see, so I can see where it's trending. So, all right, everyone, thanks for joining. We will see y'all next week. Goodbye.